Let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And John chapter 8 and verse, verse 10. This is the back end of a story that most of us are familiar with. And we pick up the narrative in verse 10. And when Jesus had lifted up himself, he saw none but the woman. He said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, the world leaves that last phrase off. And they'll point this story out like all Jesus said was, Neither do I condemn thee. But he also said, Go and sin no more. And there's the repentance aspect of it. And then Jesus, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, and this is where I want to focus this morning, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus said, or the Bible says in John chapter 1, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Help me as I would say the things you'd have me to say this morning, that they might be a source of edification to your people, and uh, Lord, a testimony to the world that walks in darkness about the light of life, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we pray, amen. All right, it's been a while, and so we're going to talk to you this morning about the subject of Halloween. The subject of Halloween or the glorification of hell. So you can see where we're going with this. Um, this is the time of year the images revolve around darkness and themes that are associated with that. And yet as we read our Bibles, we see over and over and over again that the Christian is about light because Jesus is the light of the world. And the Christian is about life because Jesus is our life. And Halloween uh, glorifies all of the opposites of that. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1. Now, if you don't like some of this or you disagree with what I'm saying, please try to understand that just like you, I have a job to do. And I won't come down to the shop and tell you how to do your job and I'd appreciate if you do the same for me. Amen? Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I mean, honestly, to me, this is so obvious. I really don't think I should have to preach it. But the Bible mandates that I do. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 44, the Old Testament priest was to teach the people the difference between the holy and the profane and the clean and the unclean. So if you're tempted to say here this morning, well, you know, people can figure this out for themselves, I would think so, but God knew otherwise. And uh, that's why he put us in the position he put us in, is to get this job done. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27, Colossians chapter 27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Now notice verse 28, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And uh, we live in a day and age where people don't want to be warned anymore. And um, I think it's a spirit of arrogance and pride. We already know everything. Nobody needs to tell us anything. And I wouldn't do anything stupid, you know, so why do I need to be warned? Or I wouldn't get out of the way, so why would I need to be warned? And yet, Paul is very clear that one of the jobs of a New Testament pastor or preacher is to warn. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. So it's all part of the job. Uh, the Bible tells us in Psalm 101, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. And uh, I hear so often, well, it's about the kids and it's about fun. All right, well, let's talk about the kids and let's talk about imagination because the kids are about imagination. You ever see the boys imagining they're in a battle and they're fighting it out, how vivid things look to them? Little girls at tea parties and imaginary weddings. And um, you ever notice how the public schools have little or no interest in Thanksgiving anymore except to guilt us that someone stole somebody's land? No celebration of being thankful to God. And uh, Christmas, well, never mind that. You know, we can't mix church and state. But we can mix Satanism in school all the month of October. We could do that. Speaking of kids, uh, my daughter has a, a neighbor and uh, their grandparents. And they got a nice, beautiful scene out in front of their house uh, that depicts children that are beheaded. And, um, you know, to me, I'm sorry, but somebody like that doesn't even deserve to be a grandparent. Uh, you want to talk about kids, let's talk about imagination. You want to talk about kids, let's talk about how vivid their imaginations are. Um, many years ago, when my oldest grandson was just a little goomer, we were at a pizza place just having some pizza. It was during the month of October, and there was a really cheesy-looking blow-up Frankenstein stuck off in the corner uh, just decorations probably the manager said here put that out you know a couple of cobwebs and a couple of spiders and I remember watching my uh, three-year-old grandson he just all of a sudden got mesmerized by that thing and he was just looking at it and he was fixated on it and something for you and I that doesn't seem to mean a whole lot can have a much more moving effect on a little child so yes, let's talk about children, and let's talk about their active and vivid imaginations. Uh, why, as believers, would we want to mime or mimic occultic rituals? Why would we want to do that in light of the fact of our relationship with Jesus Christ? And this is where I want to lay the emphasis uh, this morning. I could wear you out, and we could spend the whole time just quoting one ex-Satanist or witch or whatever, and uh, talk about how they look at it and how they're amazed that Christians would participate 
in the most important satanic uh, feast day of the year. I could quote uh, one after another, uh, practicing Satanists, thanking parents for allowing their Christian children to participate in their satanic event. I could do that, but you've heard all those things. And if it's, that's what it's going to take to get you to listen, but you won't listen to the Word of God, the effect will be short-lived. And so I'm not interested in a short-lived effect this morning. I'm more interested in us submitting to the Word of God. So take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now by way of a little bit of background, technically if you want to take the time to study it out, uh, Halloween goes all the way back to Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel and the origins of paganism. And if I had to define paganism for you in, in the simplest, shortest terms, I would say paganism is man's natural religion. It's what man understands about God and the spirit world without God's revelation. And so uh, paganism is a very broad term. And it involves a spectrum of a lot of different faiths, so-called, and practices. But it's what man understands about the spirit world without the revelation of God. And uh, you could go back to Genesis chapter 11 for that in the Tower of Babel. But uh, the idea of October 31st as a holiday originated with the ancient Celtic priests called Druids around 300 B.C., the Druids lived in the area between Great Britain, France, and Germany, and their new year began on November 1st, so October 31st was set aside to worship their God, um, and it's pronounced several different ways. Um, the one I'm to understand, Samhain, the God of the dead. So October 31st was the Celtic New Year's Eve and the time for the festival of death. Uh, the Druids believed that Samhain gathered all the souls of the past years dead on this night. These souls had been confined to the bodies of various animals to atone for their sins. See how um, religious man is by nature. And uh, again, without the revelation of God, animal sacrifices and even human sacrifices were carried out usually in the forest. This practice was observed till around 61 AD when it was outlawed by the Romans. However, some animal and human sacrifices were still practiced as late as 400 AD openly, and to this day it still goes on, mostly clandestine in the West. The Druids taught that the spirit world was closer to the earth on this night than at any other time, and that the gods would even appear on this night to play tricks on people. Pope Boniface III in the 7th century set aside May 13th as All Saints Day or All Hallows Day as the time for Roman Catholics to honor all known dead saints. In the 8th century, 8th century Pope Gregory III moved the date to November 1st, which conveniently merged All Hallows Day and All Hallows Eve with the Celtic New Year and the Festival of Samhain. This custom wasn't much observed in America <clears throat> until the 1840s when large numbers of immigrants came over from Ireland and Scotland. 
And of course, Halloween is filled with all sorts of pagan characters and customs. The black cat, uh, for example, was believed to be by the Druids, uh, evil spirit friends of witches and even witches themselves. These cats were often kept uh, in wicker cages and burned in animal sacrifices. Uh, we read in the book of Exodus, take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22. And uh, also Deuteronomy chapter 18. Exodus 22 and Deuteronomy 18. Exodus 22 and verse 18. Exodus 22 verse 18. I think we can get the idea without delving into paragraph after page after chapter after book of information on the background of this. I think what appears on the surface is pretty obvious. But let's just talk a little bit more about these matters. Exodus 22, verse 18, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. That's what God thought of witches. Okay, bottom line. I'm not going to talk to you about all the implications of that verse. I'm just going to say that's what God thought of witches. And um, then if you go to um, Deuteronomy 18, look at verse 10 through 12. The Bible says, there shall not be found among you any one that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them from before thee. Well, if God says these people are abominations, why would we want to take a day a year, yea, for the most part, a month, and glorify them? Now, I, I've, I've read some incredible things this week, and uh, some of them are incredibly stupid. And Christians trying to justify themselves. Look, if you want to just say, preacher, I don't care what you say. I don't care what the Bible says. I think it's fun. I like doing it, and I'm just going to do it, even if it is uh, evil by virtue of its foundation and background and practice, I would have more respect for that than somebody saying some of the stupid things that I read. Uh, one idiot said, well, we should do it as Christians because it mocks the devil and that really bothers him. Well, I got a better way of mocking the devil besides getting in bed with him. Go on a street corner, hand out some gospel tracts, and tell people about Jesus Christ. If you really want to get under the devil's skin. And by the way, all this getting in bed with the devil business is stepping out on God. We need to look at it the way God looks at it. And, and look, folks, it isn't going to look any different to God then it would look to you if your spouse came up to you and said, look, I'm just going to commit adultery one day a year. And I'm going to court somebody just for one month. It's all in fun. That other person doesn't really mean anything to me. I, I really love you. How's that going to go over? How's that going to go over? You going to be happy about that? Well, that's the way it looks to God. When God says certain things are an abomination and certain people in the Old Testament don't even deserve to live, why would we want to dress our, dress our kids up like that? 
I mean, scary masks were worn by the Celts to scare away evil spirits. So why would we want our kids to do the same? Uh, do we want to dress up our kids like an evil spirit? Do we want to poke God in the eye? Do we want to tempt getting involved with things in the spirit world we'll regret later on? Well, it doesn't mean anything to me. Remember, your kid has a much more vivid imagination than you do. And uh, jack-o'-lanterns were used uh, for the same purpose, scaring away evil spirits. Originally, it was turnips. And, uh, and then skulls were also used by the Druids in 300 B.C. Of course, it morphed into uh, pumpkins eventually. And uh, what the world thinks of as ghosts are not the spirits of dead people, but rather evil spirits uh, of which we are warned about in the Bible. And the Bible says in Leviticus 19, Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Even the orange and black colors of Halloween have an origin with the Druids in their festival of death. Huge bonfires, which bon is just short for bone fires, but huge bonfires were used for offering human and animal sacrifices, so the colors of the night were orange flames glowing in the dark. Uh, Trick-or-treating finds its origin in the custom of peasants going house to house, begging for money to purchase necessities for the Feast of Muk Allah, the Druid sun god, a blessing was promised to generous givers, while threats were often made to those who were stingy. Now, you know what we ought to be celebrating uh, Tuesday evening, if you want to celebrate anything? On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther, an Augustinian monk, nailed his 95 thesis against the practice of selling indulgences by the Roman Catholic Church to their people to atone for their sins and help buy their way into heaven, which Luther believed correctly was not scriptural and believed correctly that it minimized the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And he nailed those 95 theses on the, the castle church door in Wittenberg in Germany, which launched the Protestant Reformation, <coughs> which was indirectly responsible for you having this book today and indirectly responsible for us living in this great country and the history we have for over 200 years in this great country. If Christians want to celebrate anything, celebrate that. And... Um, the English poet Alexander Pope once wrote, he said, Vice is a monster of such awful mien that to be hated means but to be seen. But seen too often, familiar of face, we first endure, then pity, then embrace. <clears throat> and if you don't believe that, uh, try to reach back just a couple of years when David Bowie died and all the fawning that the media did over him. And you'd have thought we'd have lost somebody that was actually contributing something to society. That freak didn't, know, didn't even know what he was. Never mind which end is up. But why mime occultic rituals? Why do that? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
And Paul had something to say to the Corinthian believers about these matters. By the way, if you live in a subdivision, Tuesday night, you're looking for something to do. Uh, we've got some tracks here. It says, heaven is no trick. It's got the plan of salvation on the back of it. Give the kid a piece of candy and give him a gospel track. And then you can always give him this one with the smiley face if you want. But prepare to be hugged. <laughs> Brother Joe, you nailed it with this, this track. I give these tracks out now. I, I'm almost embarrassed how much people like them. And there's no sugar-coated gospel in here. I mean, the real deal is in the pages of this thing. But people like it, I guess just because of the smiley face on there. Does that look kind of like Brother Doty? <laughs> I think that's what it is, brother. It's your charm, man. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse uh, 14. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread, are one body, and uh, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold Israel after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifices to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. Notice what he says at the end of verse 20. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. So whether people realize they're doing what they're doing or not, they're doing it. And so Paul's very clear, hey, even if you want to dismiss what they're doing or not doing as relevant or irrelevant, he says, I wouldn't have you to have fellowship with devils. And then look at verse 21. Then he shifts into gear as to what's really important here. <clears throat> you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partaker of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Look at verse 22. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? I mean, why would I as a Christian want to poke God in the eye? And, and someone would ask, well, it's just symbolism. It means something to God. Folks, the Lord's Supper is just symbolism. I don't know in 45 years of preaching that I've ever had to turn a Satanist away from the Lord's table because they wanted to participate. They just don't. I mean, it's God's people that want to cross over and play and have fun, quote unquote, at the Lord's expense. Notice what Paul says. And, and this, is, this has to do with sacrifices that, uh, to idols that Paul acknowledges are nothing. An idol is nothing. But notice what he says here. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Verse 23, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all, but, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. So we should be thinking of how God looks at things and how this affects others. And uh, how does God look at us toying around with a bunch of satanic symbolism 
and saying it's just for fun. Uh, have your fun some other way, man. Like I said, you want to poke the devil in the eye? Uh, go out Tuesday night and hand out tracks in downtown Boise. Do that. Do that to aggravate the devil if that's really what you're trying to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14. Oh man, I'm in 1 Corinthians 6. No wonder that didn't look right. All right, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14. Uh, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? Uh, what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Look at verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And again, the rationale that, you know, we're just, we're just having fun, we're not really worshiping, is just like I said, how, how would you or your spouse feel about having that sort of a, I hear people talk about open marriages. Uh, why are they even married? Why are they even married if it's going to be a, a swinger swap meet? And uh, your spouse wouldn't be any happier to hear that than God is, that we're going to step out on him for a night and just have some fun dancing with the devil. It's just fun. We don't mean it. It's just fun, God. You're poking him in the eye just like you'd be poking your spouse in the eye or just like your spouse would be poking you in the eye. You say, what's behind it? The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And um, $11 billion a year are spent in the month of October for candy, decorations, and costumes, and parties. They sell parties now. Uh, the police report an increase in crime. The hospitals report uh, increases in incidents in the emergency rooms. And some hospitals, especially in big cities, offer free x-rays of the treats to look for razor blades and needles and such. You want your kids to have candy? Buy it yourself and give it to them. They'll appreciate you, amen? Um, go to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I got all kinds of quotes here by ex-Satanists and high priests and witches and warlocks and um, groveling minions and whatever, and like I said, if, if this, that's the only thing that's going to convince you, that's going to be short-lived. Uh, we're either going to either be in submission to the Word of God for God's reasons, or it's not going to last. So let's pay attention to what actually will last, the Word of God. First um, Thessalonians chapter 5, and First Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse uh, 20 despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Look at verse 22. Abstain from all, what's the next word? Appearance of what? Evil. All right, abstain from it. 
I'm saying we live in a culture of death that glorifies death and evil and darkness. Abstain from that. Abstain from that. Um, guys, you don't, you don't need to be wearing a shirt with a skull on it to look intimidating. Uh, work out in the gym a little bit if that's what you need. <laughs> and you can skip the shirt with the skull. You know, there's, there's so much glorification of death in this culture of death. Uh, I think we should be different as Christians. Halloween has everything to do with fear and death. Ghosts, witches, skulls, tombstones, graveyards, and nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 5 that ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And 2 Corinthians chapter 10 in verse 3. For though we walk after the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down what? Imaginations in every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And uh, you, make, you really want to make the devil mad? Look at verse 5. Just refuse to celebrate the devil's holiday. Hand out tracts to people. And refuse those imaginations that come with the devil's holiday. Uh, by the way, let me digress a little bit here to horror movies. Man, I've heard of kids binge-watching horror movies. A number of years ago, I lost, watched a couple little, little girls here in this church just about lose their minds over that. What in the world? Adults? Children? What gives us the right to sit there and... Uh, drool over gore if you've ever been encountered with the real thing you won't want to play games watching it and all that stuff leads leads down to, to the same rabbit hole of having fellowship with demon spirits uh, jesus came to free us of our fears we're told that in hebrews chapter 2 and jesus overcame death for us and uh, take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 1. Satan and his followers want to pretend that they control death and hell, but they don't. They don't. Satan doesn't even. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. Jesus speaking, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Now, he's the one with the keys, and he doesn't ask us to wallow in darkness or stare all year at death. He doesn't ask us to do that. He's about light, and he's about life. He's about light, and he's about life. And uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And verse 9, the Bible says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, 
nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. What's Paul saying there? Paul's saying if you're saved here this morning, you're different. And why should we be afraid to be different? And here's a good object lesson for your kids. As a family, show them you're different. Because as they grow up, the need to be different isn't going to diminish. There's going to be a lot of forks in the road and a lot of crossroads throughout our lives as we walk with the Lord till we get to heaven. The Bible tells us in James chapter 1 to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Romans chapter 12 says, Abhor that which which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Ephesians 5 says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. A pastor in Nairobi, Nairobi, Africa, uh, writes to a website that was talking about Halloween. He says this, Greetings, I fully endorse this website. It is long overdue. I am an African and do not know all of the history or origin of Halloween. We only see it on our TVs. What we see is scary and, and uh, justifies cause for concern, especially amongst Christian believers. Celebration of Halloween should be done away with. That's what this guy in his simplicity thought. 1 Timothy chapter 4 says um, that these spirits are seductive spirits. And as I already quoted to you before, stare at something that's grotesque long enough and it starts to look normal. We're told in in, uh, Philippians chapter 4, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtue, and praise, to think on these things. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that we're followers of Christ. Can anybody picture Jesus doing Halloween? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're told in verse 31, whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. And finally, Romans chapter 13. Turn there if you would, please. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 and verse 12. The Bible says the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Take a concordance or go to your uh, word program on your computer, however you look up verses in the Bible, and look up the words light and life and go through it and see how many references that there are. Matthew chapter 4 says, The people which sat in darkness saw a great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. Matthew chapter 5, the Bible says, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Matthew chapter 17 says, And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Speaking of Jesus. The Bible says in Matthew 28 that his countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. Luke chapter 1, to give light to them that sit in darkness in the shadow of death, 
to guide our feet into the way of peace. Speaking of Jesus, Luke chapter 2, he's a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And on and on and on we can go, and we're just in the book of Luke, and I'm not going to take you all the way to the book of Revelation, except I'm just going to end there, and I'm going to give you this last thing. I told you in the beginning that Halloween glorifies hell. Your New Testament glorifies heaven. And that's what we ought to be about, folks. And finally, in talking about heaven, Revelation chapter 21 says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Revelation 21 verse 24 says, And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. In light of all the turmoil in the world and, and the wars and rumors of wars, isn't that a wonderful promise? And then finally, Revelation chapter 22, verse 5, And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the, into the kingdom of his dear son. And we know that that kingdom is a kingdom of light. And that's where our citizenship is, Lord. And help us to walk in that light. Help us to reflect that light to a dark world and show others that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 667. Number 667 as we sing.
Father in heaven, we are so thankful to you, Lord, that you've given us a pastor, a preacher, who will tell us uh, like it is, Lord. Father, who will study and will expose Satan and, uh, and what he does and what he celebrates, Lord. And I just thank you for that, Lord. I just ask you, God in heaven, that every Christian here will have their heart open to what he said. Consider it well, Father and uh, follow him and his leadership. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness, grace, and mercy. We're asking your blessing on our day and this evening, Lord. May you bring us back together, Father, uh, and leading us, Lord, again uh, in your word. And we'll thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>